All right, how's everybody doing? Good. A couple of y'all are doing good. That was good. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for keeping it. Who remembers what we've been talking about the past couple of weeks? Do what? Hard work. Yeah, okay. We talked about the fact that I like to mow my yard, okay. Do what? Stories from Jeff's life. Yeah, okay. Well, in continuing in that vein, stories from Jeff's life, from my life. I was one of those teenagers that was very, uh, I wouldn't call me rebellious. Uh, at 15, I got saved, and it, in my life, radically, I didn't get saved at 15. I got saved earlier, but 15, I really began to understand Christ's lordship in a new way, and it really, my life radically changed. I mean, from at that point, I was, before that, it was all about Jeff, and, and God was a part of my life, and from that point forward, it was like literally radical transformation. So much so that um, that it affected my friendships. I had in, in uh, seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, I had three friends in school that were, we were tight. I mean, we were just, us four were inseparable. We were always together. We were on the same basketball team together. And uh, we literally, I, I literally spent more time with these four guys than I did with my family. Because in Chile, it's different. Education system's different than it is here in the States. Here in the States, you know, you guys, like, you get credit hours for running track or playing football or whatever it is. You know, I see I, I, I see uh, Hannah out there running all the time. And one of these days when I'm driving by to pick up the boys, I'm going to scream at her or something. The only thing that's kept me from doing it thus far is I don't want to embarrass her. You know, be like, Hannah Green, you can do it, or whatever. Um, the other day I saw Olivia out there acting like a bird because her class was supposed to act like birds or something. And I thought, I'm going to scream at her. And then I thought, no, nah, I don't know if that's her. I don't want to embarrass her either. Um, but I see you guys out there. And, and in, growing up in Chile, it wasn't like that. If you played a sport or you played an instrument, that was called extracurricular activities. And that meant that you did it on your own time. And in Chile, you go to school. School starts at 8 o'clock. And then at 2.30, you get out to go home and eat lunch. You go home and eat lunch. At 3.30, school starts again. And on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we got out at 5.45. On Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, we got out at 6.30. Now, one of the pluses to that was that uh, we didn't have a whole lot of homework. Because in Chile, the teachers taught. We didn't do little worksheets. The teachers taught. And, and, you know, we were talking about that at lunch, after lunch in a meeting upstairs with some of the adults. In Chile, uh, unlike the states, you know, the states, it is assumed that everybody should get an education. And that's not that way around the world. And while it's a blessing in the states that everybody must get an education and we, we do that, the problem with that is that when, when the, with that concept is that the teachers have to teach really towards the middle of the class rather than the top students because they can't leave anybody behind, right? In fact, it's one of our big things right now. You know, don't be left behind, right? Well, the problem with that then is that we dumb our standards down so that nobody gets left behind. Now, I'm not saying one is better than the other. I'm just saying it's different because in Chile, it wasn't like that. In Chile, it was like, you know what? Going to school is a blessing and a privilege. And if you don't want to study, if you don't want to get an education, then you're out. 
and we don't, we don't, we're, we're not about coddling to the weakest. And part of that comes from, and, and please don't hear me wrong, I'm not criticizing the education in the states. I'm just saying it's different. In a country like the states where everybody's granted an education, we lose, it, it's a temptation for us to lose uh, an appreciation for that education. Whereas in a third world country, they are trying to better themselves. They're trying to better the country. And so they, they are trying to raise people's level of education higher. And so they're shooting pie in the sky. And, and if you want an education, you've got to work hard for that. So teachers from junior high, it was like it is in the college in the States. In junior high, you walked in, a teacher taught and lectured, and you took notes. And you were on your own to take notes. There were no handouts. They stood up there and they taught. And so coming back to the States and going to college was actually fairly easy for me, whereas for some of y'all it's going to be a little difficult. Y'all are used to working towards the task test or working these worksheets and workbooks. And you're going to get to college, and the college professor is just going to stand up there and talk for an hour. In fact, they're finding out that for your generation it's starting to become a real problem. Because your generation is used to doing worksheets over here while talking to your neighbor over here because your teacher's just concentrated on something else while texting or getting on Facebook at the same time. And you've got all this stuff going on. And when you get to college, it's not going to be like that. Because college professors, one, they get paid by you to be there. And so if you have to repeat their class, that means more money for them. So they don't care if you fail. They don't. College professors don't have to deal with your pre- your parents coming up there in the afternoon going, why did my, you know, my students not doing their homework? I need you to help them out or my students failing. You know, in college, it's on you if you're failing to walk into your professor's office and say, I don't understand. I'm not getting it. And your professor, when your professor comes and looks at you, unlike your parents right now, when your professor says, well, you know, uh, you're not turning in all your homework assignments and you skipped class last week. Get out of my office. I'm not going to waste my time on you. You'd be like, yeah, but if, if you don't help me, I'm going to fail. And your college professor will say, so, just take the class again. By the way, next, next semester, I'm putting out a new edition of my book. I moved a period from here in this sentence to over here. And now everybody's mandated to go buy a new book, not a used book. And I get more royalties. So, you know, you fail. Sorry. By the way, your old book won't work next semester. Go get a new one. And, and, and that's the way it is. And, and for me, coming out of the education system I was raised in, that's, that was fine. I mean, I, I was used to that from seventh grade on. So in seventh grade on, I had these four guys, and we were in the same class. And the other thing in Chile that's different in the States is you don't change classrooms for different topics. You know, here you kind of pick your schedule. And in Chile, the schedule was picked for you. You take everything. So in uh, seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth grade, you take biology. All four years. In 10th and 11th grade, you take chemistry both years. And in 10th and 11th grade, you take physics both of those years. So I had four years of biology, two years of physics, two years of chemistry. I had two years of philosophy, one year of logic. I had Spanish, which is the same as your English, literature, Spanish language. I had Chilean history, world history, history, Chilean history and world history. We took every year, every year. Seventh grade on through senior year. I had world geography, two years of world geography. I had economics. I had uh, shop, three years of shop, three years of graphic design, three years of art. I had uh, English every year from kindergarten all the way through. You do, you do a foreign language. And you had the language and you had a lab for that foreign language. And I had civics. I had statistics. 
I had, uh, and the list just goes on and on. And you did, you, and, and what the class did is in kindergarten, they assigned a class, and that class stayed together in that classroom, and, and teachers came to them and taught different subjects. And you stayed with that class all the way through. If you stayed in that city the whole time through senior year, you stayed with that same group of people all the way through. So by the time, by the time I would have graduated, if I had stayed there, then I would have been with these four guys from 7th grade, 8th grade, ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade, all the way through. And most of my class had been together since kindergarten. So the, when I say we were tight, I mean, it's a whole new level of tight compared to, it's a world you guys don't know because we spent more time at school than we did at home. We spent more time with each other. And with these three guys in particular, at 6.30 when we got out of class, we had to go to the school gym for school basketball from 6.30 to 8 o'clock. And then at 8 o'clock, we went across town. Remember I told you that down there, college has a league for high school and junior high age kids, and they recruit them coming out of junior high school. So at 8 o'clock, we'd go across town. By 8.30, we had to be at the college campus to practice for that team. And then at 9.30, by the way, where I grew up, you, you know, you didn't drive around. It's public transportation, and we were poor school kids, so we ran. So at 9.30, after having practiced for an hour for school and an hour for college, then I ran home about 11 blocks, 12 blocks, and got home about 10 o'clock at night, get up in the morning and do it all over again. So I don't want to hear you whining about your stupid little tests. Because tests for me were not multiple choice. It was blue book. It was all essay. It was crazy. Now, I will listen to you whine about homework because that's just ridiculous. You know, your parents are paying taxes for you to be taught in the classroom. Anyways, I was with these three guys literally from 8 o'clock to about 10 o'clock at night, five days a week. And then on Saturdays is when we played our games. You don't get out of school early to go for away games. All the games were on Saturdays and Sundays. My dad wouldn't let me play on Sunday, so it was a miracle. My coach let me stay on both teams, but I played games on Saturday. So... I knew these guys, and we were tight. Well, there was a problem that happened, see. Um, we, we were the closest of buddies until my sophomore year. In my sophomore year, uh, remember, I'm in South America, and, and while the country is supposed to be a Catholic country, most people don't care about Christianity. Um, certainly none of my classmates are Christians. Certainly none of their parents. You know, they would go to, to Mass on Christmas and Easter, and that was about it. My sophomore year, this this junior comes into my classroom, walks up to me, and, and it, you got to understand this guy. His name was Patricio, but everybody called him Pato, which means duck. And uh, and he had a problem with acne, and his face was just covered with acne. He's just a real nerdy kid, kind of you know. And he walked into my classroom, which was embarrassing enough that he walked straight up to me. And he goes, Jeff, and I said, What's up? <laughs> Can I help you? And he goes, Yeah. I heard your dad's a missionary, and all my friends around, I'm like, yeah. He goes, cool, we're starting a youth group, and we're meeting at Cesar's house, which Cesar was one of the English teachers there. Cesar had gone on a, not a student exchange, but a teacher exchange program to England for a year. He went and taught Spanish, and someone came from England in his stead and taught English for a year. And while he was over there, he got saved in an Anglican church. And so he came back and he wanted to start a youth group. And remember in South America, so lawsuits are, they, they don't exist down there. You just don't sue people and that kind of thing. Uh, so 
he could share the gospel in class, and no, you know, I mean, nobody could do anything. So here he is. Well, they could fire him, but uh, here he is, and he's wanting to start this youth group. So this guy walks into my class in front of all my classmates and says, "Your dad's a missionary. That means you're a Christian. We want to. I, you know, I got saved." The weird English teacher led me to the Lord, and now we're starting a youth group at his apartment. So you want to come on Friday night? And I'm like, sure, I'll be there. And he turned around and walked down, and I'm like, and all my classmates are like, ah. No, I had games on Friday nights and Saturdays. So that Friday night when I was supposed to be there, I didn't go. I went to my basketball game. And then what you do in South America on weekends, you go dancing at the club. So we finished our basketball game and got showered and changed, and then we went into the club and went dancing, you know. And uh did that for about a month, and every week he'd come in and just so embarrassing, this guy, and I'm just like, I don't want anything to do with you. Well, finally one day he comes in and he goes, dude, come on, man, you've promised you were going to come. We really need you there. You know, you're the only one out of the entire student body that not only knows Christ, but knows a little bit about the Bible. We need you there. And I'm like, dude, I just can't. I got basketball games. He's like, look, this Friday, we're, we're opening it up, we're having people invite their friends, and we're doing a chocolate fondue. And I'm like, what the heck is a fondue? Right? I'd never had one. He goes, it's where you get this pot of chocolate, and you melt it down, and then you take skewers like marshmallows or strawberries or bananas or whatever. You dip it in the chocolate, you pull it out, and it, the chocolate cools, and then you eat it. And I'm like, I'm there. And, and these three guys, Juan, Matias, and Mauricio, my best friends, of course, you know, we're, they're sitting there and they're like, dude, can we come? He's like, yeah, but come on. And we're like, all right, we're going to get there a little late because we've got a basketball game, but we'll come straight from the game over to the, to the apartment. You know, he gave us the address. And, and so our plan was to go from the game to the apartment, eat until there's no chocolate left, and then go to the party because there's a party every weekend. If they're in at the club, everybody's throwing a party. Okay, so that was the plan. So you know, we do that. We go, and we go to the game. We get done with the game. We go to this apartment. We get up in this apartment, and uh, they they kind of are a little freaky. You know, they sing some songs, which for you is just normal, but understand in this context, just nobody does this. I mean, nobody does this. And, and we're like, okay, it's weird that we're in a teacher's apartment. You know, this male teacher wants all these guys running around, you know, it's just kind of like, I don't know about that. And then, you know, we're sitting there, we're there to eat chocolate, and they start singing, and we're like, dude, you know, and I, my friends are just, me, fortunately, being raised in the church, I was I was smart enough to just sit there, you know, just to be look at the floor and just be like count sheep or something. All my friends are just like, <sighs> you know, and finally they're like, dude, we're out of here. And they just get up and leave in the middle of it. And I'm too embarrassed to do that because I'm brought up in church. So I just sit there and I'm just like, all right, I'll catch up with you all at the party. And they just walk out, you know, and I'm just sitting there. And finally they get done with their little lesson thing and they're singing. They pull out the chocolate fondue and we eat it. And and it was okay. I mean, it was okay. But one of the things that, that we're, we get done eating, whatever, and Cessna, the guy from church, pulls me out and he goes, Jeff, come here, I want to talk to you. I'm like, okay, whatever, and he pulls me back into his little office. It's like a two-bedroom apartment. He's married, has a wife, and then the other bedroom's like an office. He pulls me in there, and he's like, Jeff, I really want you to start coming. I'm like, inside, I'm going, I don't care. <laughs> he goes, you need to be here. You need to be here. And he said, are you a Christian? I said, yeah, I'm a Christian. You know, my dad's a missionary right now. He's like, okay. He's like, well, then you're saying God, Christ is the Lord of your life. And I'm like, yes. And he's like, well, you need to let it show because right now you're hiding in the closet. 
and, and he basically called me out. And at first I was just, you got to understand about me, is that at this point I don't understand lordship. And, and while Christ was a part of my life, I'd never asked him to be all my life. And I had a temper that was about this short. And so I'm, I'm just getting red hot. It's this guy, this guy that doesn't even know me, invited me over to eat chocolate. And instead he's like ripping me a new one. You know, and I'm just looking at the floor, and I'm just like, I'm getting angry. And he just looks at me, and he goes, Jeff, I can see that you're getting angry. The Lord's telling me that you're just, you're so angry you could hit me. And I looked up, and I'm like, yeah, you're right. You know? And he goes, I want to give you a book. I want you to read this book. If you don't like it, you can bring it back. But if you read it and, and read it all the way through, I'll never bother you again. I said, okay, whatever, anything to get you off my back. So he gave me this book, and he said, next week. I'm going to ask you about it, and if you've read it, then I'll leave you alone. You can give me back the book. I said, okay. So I walked out. I walked home. This is me we're talking about. I don't read books, you know. Um, but it was this, I don't, even, I don't even remember the name of this book. I think it's something like Between the Cross and the Switchblade or something like that. It's about this guy. It's about this guy that was uh, abused as a child. His dad had died. I mean, he had messed up. He was in going to prison. He'd been in juvie several times. He got in this karate thing, became his black belt, went to Vietnam and killed people with his bare hands. You know, just angry, angry, life after life, everything in life just made him angry, angry, angry. And then he met the Lord, and it's talking about how it freed him from all this anger, right? And, and his testimony, it was a book about his testimony. And I remember, I, for some reason, I actually started reading the thing, and I actually got into it because it's cool. I mean, this guy was going into battle, and I mean, just literally killing people with his bare hands, you know, his special forces and just going back into there and doing stuff that, you know, nobody knew about. And he was beating people. When people mess with him, he'd just beat the bloody pulp out of him. And I'm just like, yeah. You know? So I was reading this book, you know, and then got the part where he got saved and God just started, just literally washed away his anger and all this stuff. And it was like God was just basically saying, Jeff, this is you. And, and so I went back the next Friday and I gave him the book and I said, man, you know, this is, this is pretty convicting, you know, and, and they started singing, and it's like God just kind of kind of showed up, and, and as they were praising, it's God just really began to tear down all these walls of pride in me, and God began to strip away all this anger in me, and God began to become real, and, and there in this guy's living room, God just basically said, look, if you're going to call me Lord, then I got to be Lord, and if you're not... Let me do that passage in Matthew where it says, Many will call on that day, Jesus, Jesus. Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not, you know, this, this, and this? And he'll say, Apart from me, I never knew you. And basically, Jesus was saying, Jeff, I don't know you. In that living room, while they're singing, he's saying, Jeff, I don't know you. And, and I, man, I just bust out in tears in this guy's living room. And there's, we're talking three other guys there. Some snot-nosed eighth grader, this junior and then this other guy that's a visitor too, and me, and this weird teacher. Everybody called him Garfield because he wore these glasses that were like this, and he was chubby and little lasagna. He looked like Garfield. And, and there in his living room, I just bust, and I couldn't stop crying. And this man came over me. My dad is, uh, is an awesome guy, but he's not very physically affectionate. doesn't show love physically. And this man comes over me and just starts hugging me, and it wasn't gay. It was... It was a man just loved, and he just grabbed me like this. I'm just in a ball, and he just comes and puts his arms around me, and he just starts praying. 
in my ear. And it just started becoming real. And, and I left his apartment that night changed, forever changed. And the change was so drastic that that next week at school, Juan and Mauricio and Matias, they were like, dude, where were you last weekend? I was like, oh, you know, I went to Cecil's house to that thing. They're like, what would you go there for? And, and there it was. I mean, on Friday night, I was on my knees. And on Monday, God let me be tested. First thing in the door. And my free, free, three greatest friends said, where were you Friday night? Oh, I was at Cecil's. What were you doing there? That's stupid, man. What, 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 what are you doing singing those songs and reading the Bible on a Friday night? You know? And there it was. And I had this choice to make. Either I was going to let Friday mean something, or I was going to choose to deny everything that happened on Friday and turn back to my old life. And so there I told him, I said, listen, guys, Jesus is the Lord of my life. And I, I have to apologize to you because I have not been letting that show. But I'm a Christian, and Jesus is the most important thing to me. And, and God set me free on Friday. And they're like, what? <laughs> so they were hearing, wah, 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 wah. And they're like, dude, are you serious? I'm like, yes. I'm like, I'm not going to be partying on Friday nights anymore. I'm going to be going to Sessos. And they're like, dude, are you really going to bail on us like that? I'm like, dude, I'm sorry, but I have to. I have to. I have to, I have to fix my priorities. They're like, forget you. And they left. And for the next month, they, they just chastised me, alienated me. Talk about miserable. Going to school and being, I mean, and, and before too long, literally within days, the entire school knew that I one of the basketball team guys, you know, the the end guys, had, had become a part of the cult of Garfield. That's what they called it. Everybody knew knew about this meeting, and they called it La Secta de Garfield, Garfield's cult. And they knew that I'd become a member of Garfield's cult. And so literally, walking down the school, everybody's ridiculing me, literally, verbally ridiculing me. Teachers are ridiculing me in front of the whole class. And it and it's just a different world. Nobody cared. And and it was literal suffering and persecution for about a month. I mean, literally for a month there, I, I was by myself with exception of two people. Cesar, the teacher, and Patricio, the acne-faced junior guy. That's, and those two guys are the only two people that will speak to me out of my entire circle. Not just circle, but the entire school. You know, every, anyone else that would talk to me would just make fun of me. And and so Patricio comes up to me after about three weeks, and he says, Jeff, I'm so proud of you. And he said, listen, I know what you're going through. And I'm like, yeah, I know you know what I'm going through because I used to be one of the ones ridiculing you. You were that weird nerd kid that was just different. And he said, I want you to meet with me weekly. I want to I, I spend time with you. And I said, okay. So we'd get together weekly. And and you'd think, being a missionary's son, that I would learn a life of prayer. And it's not because of an absence of my father showing me. It's just in this season in my life, for the first time, I needed God. And and in this time of my life, it was one of those things where Dad couldn't help me. Because Dad was the foreign missionary, and he was just different. 
And, but here, this guy understood me and lived in my world. Remember, I'm going from 8 I'm eight to 10 in this world. And so we would get together on Saturdays before games at, at this guy's house. And we'd just read the word and start studying the word and pray. And it wasn't like studying the word like you and I do little Sunday school Bible studies. It was like reading the word like, okay, God, I desperately need you because right now my life is entirely, I, I'm alone here. And, and it was looking for God to just, and God did. He just started speaking through his word. And our prayers were literally begging and pleading that God would, would protect us and give us strength. And, and the more we met, pretty soon it, it came to a place where our prayers quit being about us and it started being about, all right, God, break out in revival and start leading my friends and, and these people around me that are blind and going to hell. Lead them, lead them to Christ. Send your Holy Spirit to reveal yourself to them. And after about three months of this, um, one day at school, I think it was actually basketball practice after school. We're doing layups or something, you know, running and running suicides, or whatever. And Mauricio, Juan, and Matias are like, you know, we're we're. St- I think we were doing layups because we're standing in the back of the line. And they said, Jeff, they're like, dude, what is what is going on with you? Like, really, what's going on? And I told them, I said, guys. God's changed my life, and that's something they couldn't understand. And they basically said that we can't even understand. You know, you are you are so you've lost it, dude. You you are like you've literally. We're worried about you. You've lost it, man. This is this isn't funny anymore. It's it's sad. And I was just telling them, I'm saying, guys, you don't understand. God has changed my life, and He's come into my life. And 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 this is where I, for the first time in my life, I really began to understand the power of prayer because I've been praying for three months with Patricio. And they looked at me in the eyes and they said, Jeff, we miss you. And they said, Jeff, the reality of it is, is that you're happy. Because remember, they knew me before. I was Mr. Angry. You, you, you crossed me wrong and I'll just beat you down. I got in fights. I was my seventh, eighth, and freshman year, I was what they call conditional meaning I'd been to the principal's office so many times that he'd say, one more slip-up, and I'm expelling you from the school. And then I'd do something else and be like, one more time, and I'm expelling you. And do something, one more time, you know. And, and, and they were like, Jeff, you are happy. And, and I hadn't even realized the change that God was doing to me, but as I was reading the Word and praying, God was beginning to change me, and my, my fuse was going from this to like this, you know. And, and they would see me, and my re- the way I'd react was, was not in anger anymore, and I wasn't getting in fights. And they were like, Jeff, you're happy, and we want that joy because you've, you've got something that we don't have. And it might be weird, and it might be wild, but, but we miss you. And then they said this, Jeff, how come you've never invited us to come with you? If you've found God, and if, if you, we, we, you've obviously found something we don't have because you have real joy, and, and you've got this, and you're keeping it to yourself. Why have you abandoned us? And I never saw it that way. See, I saw it as them leaving me and ridiculing me. But, but this, once again, God spoke to me in that moment. He said, Jeff, you've abandoned your friends. You abandoned them the first time when you were keeping me hidden from them, and now you've abandoned them because you're not you're not earnestly pursuing their souls for me. And so I said, well, come on. And you know what? They did. They did. And all three of them ended up getting saved. And, and in that year, that year, we went from three of us, the teacher, Patricio, and me, to 30. 
And, and these kids aren't, aren't like you and I. These kids aren't kids that have heard about Jesus like you and I have. These kids come from homes where their parents literally would say, why are you going and reading the Bible and singing songs? That's not normal. Normal kids go and party and get drunk on the weekends. So this weekend we're throwing a party at our house, and we'll provide the booze, and you can just invite your friends. And that's what parents were doing. In that year, we went from 3 to 30. In that year, three of our, three of our people that got saved flunked. Teachers flunked them because they got saved. They would write on their test, you know, I'm giving you an F because to help you snap out of it, you know. And, and, and we started experiencing real persecution. And, and their parents at home were doing it. And, and that first year, 30 kids got saved. And they were getting persecuted at school. They were getting persecuted at home. But they were experiencing the grace of God. And, and what Patricio and I did in the room by ourselves on Saturdays soon became a Friday night thing where 30 of us were on our faces weeping, crying out to God for him to just change our world. I'll never forget year two, we had been praying, particularly for parents, and we had been praying and praying and praying, and we had several students that weren't allowed to come on Friday nights anymore because it was just too weird that they would come and read the Bible and sing when, instead of going out and doing stuff. So we started praying for those kids' parents, and Cesar was so smart, and he'd say, listen, don't rebel against your parents. Don't get angry. Don't act out. What you're going to do is you're going to quit coming on Friday nights, and instead on Friday nights, you're going to clean. You're going to wash dishes. You're going to do chores around the home without being asked, and you're going to love your parents to Christ. And so that's what they did. And on Fridays, they'd be at home just cleaning, doing whatever their parents asked, doing stuff their parents hadn't even asked them to do, and we'd be praying for their parents. And for about three months in the beginning of the next second year, we did that. And, and I'll never forget one of my classmates, his name is John, his parents one night came. They had, he hadn't been allowed to come in, in months, and they came, and they met with Cesar, and they wanted to know what was going on. They wanted to know what this teacher was doing with the kids, you know, and, and they were going to basically get to the end of it. And they went into this meeting. So Cesar calls us, right? I, I can't even imagine as a youth pastor now, all my associates and all, all the people that are helping me do ministry are teens, you know. It was him by himself, and then he's got freshmen and sophomore that they're, they're, they're the leaders, you know. And he calls us, and he's like, Jeff, Patricio, you know, he's like, I'm meeting with these guys' parents. So you gather the kids at, at my house. I'm going to his house and these parents. You gather the kids at my house this Friday night, and you guys fast and pray while I'm meeting with him. So we did. And we're begging, you know, these kids in his house. And pretty soon, after about three hours of just solid prayer, in walked Cesar with John's parents. And they'd gotten saved. And, and God just started doing miracle after miracle after miracle. And that season in my life, God was more real than ever before. Anything we prayed, he answered immediately. I can remember going backpacking with these guys, and it would be raining. I'll never forget one time my brother went with us because he loved to backpack too, and he didn't have anything to do on the weekend. And we were like, come with us. You know, we're going camping. We're going to do – there's these sand dunes on the backside of these mountains, and we like to what we call womp, which is where you'd go. And it was literally like a cliff. It was like a 50-foot drop, and then these sand dunes came out, right? And we had – don't ask me how we discovered this, but there was this tree, oak tree, that had fallen over. And we'd climb out on that oak tree so that we're hanging over the dunes, you know, about a 50-foot drop. And we'd jump off the tree, and then as soon as you land in the sand, if you, you couldn't – you couldn't wait because you'd sink in the sand. And if you sunk up to about your knees, 
because the pitch was like 80-degree pitch, the sand, if you sunk into your knees, sunk too much, you would just basically fall forward, and then you're just rolling down about 100 foot of sand dune. But if as soon as your feet started to touch the sand, you jumped again, then you could literally run down this 80-degree pitch sand dune, and, and every step was like a 20-foot drop. You know, it was just like, boom, and you just like flying, you know, and then as soon as you'd hit that sand, you know, the soft sand, you'd just start sinking so it wouldn't hurt your feet. So about 20 feet drop, and you'd hit the sand again, and you'd jump again, and it was just like running, you know, and every step was like a 20-foot drop. And so my brother heard us talking about this in my house, and he's like, dude, I want to go. And we're like, all right, this this weekend, a- a- after the game, we're going to drive out there. We'll go backpacking camp, and we, we got out there, and Jason was, my brother was one of those that was making fun of us, right? He had been for two or three years as we were meeting, and and we got up there, and we got our camp all set up, and, and we were about to cook supper, and it started raining, torrential rain. And I'll never forget, we were like, all right, let's pray and ask God to stop the rain so we can go womp, you know. And Jason's like, guys, God doesn't work that way. Typical older brother, you know. And we're like, no, Jason, it'll be all right, let's pray. And he's like, dude, I'm not praying for God to stop the rain. If God wanted to stop the rain, it'd just stop, you know. And this is the missionary's kid. And all my friends over here, that's just what they knew. That's, that's the Christian walk that I knew. And I'm like, no, we're going to pray from the stop rain. He's like, okay, y'all go for it. So we're standing around the fire. And we're just like, God, you know, we really, we wanted to spend time fellowshiping. And, and, and all my Spanish friends that had gotten saved, you know, just start praying in this childlike faith that they had. You know, God, we really wanted to just spend time fellowshiping. And so we pray that you just stop the rain. Uh, because if the sand gets wet, it'll get hard and we won't be able to womp. So we need you to stop the rain and we need you to stop it now. And it was like... <laughs> And the clouds just opened up, and the sun just peeked through. And we're on the top of this mountain, right, with sand dunes on the back. And literally on the top of the mountain, you could see. And as far as you could see all the way around, there's just rain clouds and just torrential rain except for this one mountain. And then the just sun, bright sun just came shining through. And Jason's just standing there like, guys, it's not... And he didn't say a word the rest of the weekend. And that, I mean, that sun just shined on us, and we just went whomping, you know. And, and, and pretty soon thereafter, Jason's class quit making fun of us. You know, it was just stuff like that. And I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. A lot of who I am today in the Lord comes from those days. Let me read this this to you. This is Jude. It's a book of the Bible. It's very short, right before Revelation. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was eager to write you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you, and they are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own home, these he has kept in darkness, bound in everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment for eternal fire. 
In the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand, and what things they do not understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error, and they have destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These men are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm. Shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown, among, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit, and uprooted twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of the ungodly acts they have done in, an, in the ungodly way, and all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But, dear friends, remember what the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are men who will divide you, who will follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and prayer in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to the present you before his, and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Such a small book. But it's just a book that speaks to the church, and it just brings it straight to point. Just like Cesar did in his office. When Cesar called me out and he said, Jeff, you, you say you bear the name of Christ, but the lifestyle you're living is not one that demonstrates Christ. Rather, it's one that mocks him. Because Christ has shown you grace. Christ has shown you love. And what you're showing the world around you is a lack of both. And you are leading people astray. And I, I, I can't thank God enough that there was a man who was willing to stand up in my life and say it how it is. And sometimes we need that. Sometimes we just need someone to just tell us how it is. Listen. Jude talks about the last days, and he talks about how, how men, and he's not talking about the world. He's talking about men who have been counted amongst us. 
These aren't men that are going to infiltrate the church to mislead the church. These are people who call themselves Christians, who believe they're Christians, but their own concerns, their own desires are more important than God's desires. And because they follow their own desires, they quickly end up following their own philosophies, their own theologies, and they lead lives that while they say represent Christ, do not. They represent their own folly. And Jude basically just brings it forth and he says this, essentially, listen, Christ and his angels are going to come one day and you better be on the right side, Jeff Dietz's paraphrased version. And as, as Richard's getting close to wrapping up his, his Shattering Idols series, we, we as Christians need to look introspectively from time to time. And Richard's done a great job uh, with, with a series and talking about the different things that we replace God, that we put as priorities above us in God. And, and we've had some real cute illustrations. But sometimes we need people to just get in our face and just say, listen, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, then live for Christ. Otherwise, quit calling yourself a Christian. Because the business of the church is to share Christ's love and make disciples. And so it, we want to be people that are making disciples of Christ, not disciples of Jeff, not disciples of just stick your name in there. So if you're going to call yourself a believer, if you're going to call yourself someone who submitted to Christ's lordship by saying that you're a Christian, then do it. That's what Jude's passage to the church was. Listen, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, live it out. Be faithful to the gospel that was presented to you, what Paul says several times. This morning, Richard quoted Colossians, where, where Paul warned the church in Colossians, saying, listen, make sure that you're staying true to the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's Jesus Christ and no one else. The gospel that was given to you, that is the real gospel. Don't let people water it down. Don't let them change it. And it's not just a matter of thinking, of believing. It's a matter of living out. It's one thing for you to believe the real gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, but live the gospel of Jeff Dietz or just stick your name in there. It's a whole other thing to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ as written in the Bible, that I am crucified with Christ and I no longer live, yet it is Christ that lives within me. In the life I now live, I live according to his Holy Spirit, which is guiding me. It's one thing to know that up here, and it's a whole other thing to, to say that, and it's a whole other thing to live it. And that's basically what Jude was saying to the church of old, and it's basically what we need to hear today. Listen, it's one thing to say that I'm a Christian, that I follow Jesus Christ, that I believe that he died on the cross, and the third day he rose from the grave. That's great. James says that even the demons believe that he is the Son of God and tremble at his name. It's one thing to say I believe it. It's a whole other thing to say, because I believe it, I have given him my life. My life is no longer mine to live. I lay it down. I lay it down, and now his Holy Spirit is given free reign, and I allow him to come and to change me and to mold me, regardless of the circumstances, to change who I am, that I might be one that represents and makes disciples of the gospel of Jesus Christ rather than making disciples of my way of living. And your generation has to own this. I tell you what, one of the biggest things, and with this I'm ending, so... Y'all can 
Don't worry about that. One of the biggest problems I have with Rob Bell's book, and it's been all over, everybody's talking about it. One of the biggest problems I have with it, honest to goodness, is not his, his, his stance on hell and his theology on what, whether who goes to hell and who doesn't. One of my biggest problems with, with his book is, is that he's bought into this whole love, grace, gospel that just goes to the point where if God is truly loved, then he could never send anybody to hell. And, and God is just love, and, and we just need to love each other and love, 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 you know, and just go on with the song. All we need is, no, all we need is Jesus Christ. Because if, if we're not living, if we're not living the gospel of Jesus Christ out to the people who are around us, then all we are doing is loving them all the way to hell. That's what John Wesley said. John Wesley said to, to change someone's social circumstance, to give uh, someone who's hungry food to eat, to give someone who doesn't have shelter a place to stay, but not give them the saving grace of Jesus Christ and, and, and give them the gospel of Jesus Christ, then all we are doing is loving them straight to hell. And that's what Paul's talking, or Jude, the Jude is talking about in our lives. If we're going to say we're Christians, let's live it out, because otherwise, all we are doing is just risking leading people to a life without Christ. And and I, I God tells us to love. Don't get me wrong, but let's not mistake true love, godly love, because if we truly loved everyone, we would tell them the truth rather than watering down the truth or ignoring the truth. If we truly love our neighbor, then we will tell them the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We won't water it down so that it doesn't offend them. We will tell them the truth as it is. If we really love the world, we will lay down our lives, our pride. We will risk being ridiculed by the world. We will risk being rejected by the world for the sake of Christ. Because Christ was ridiculed and rejected by the world, he promises us that for his sake we will be too, just like he was. And, and love does not mean that we're not rejected or ridiculed by the world. Real love is sharing them the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and giving them the truth whether they receive it or not. And it's not doing it in, a, in an obnoxious way. It's not doing it in, in, in a negative way. It's doing it in a loving way. Because I care about you, I have to tell you the truth. And the way it is is not so much in words, rather in deed. As I live out my life, the world around me, as Peter says, should see the hope that I have and want to know the reason for the hope that I have. Just like Mauricio, Pablo, or Mauricio, Juan, and Matias came to me and said, dude, you've changed. You've got joy. We want it. That's what Peter's talking about. That's what Jude is talking about. And we as the church need to quit watering down things so that it's relevant with the world. Rather, we need to live out the real gospel so that the world can truly see who Jesus is, so that they can make a clear choice to follow him or to reject him. Not so that they think they're following him when they're not, because we've not represented who Christ really is. Students, in your schools, you need to get serious about Jesus Christ. You're not just a 13-year-old, a 14-year-old, a 15-year-old Christian. You are a soldier in the army of God. The Bible says that the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing. 
Not that you're cramming the Bible down people's throat. Rather, you should be begging and pleading that the Holy Spirit would open doors for you to share the gospel. You should be weeping for your friends. You should be on your knees for your generation. You should be sacrificing your life for the cause of Christ because the time is few. Your days are few. Your time is limited. In two, three years, you're out of here. And your impact on your schools and on your friends is over. And the question I'll ask you that Cesar asked me is, what Jesus are you showing the world around you? That's a serious question. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would come and that you would truly help us shatter the idols in our lives, that you would reveal to us the things that we place in importance before you. I pray that you would call us out, that you would reveal to us that we are truly a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God, as First Peter says, and that we would take that role seriously that we, just as many kings, would lay down our own selfish ambitions and desires, that we would follow the desires of Christ so that the lives we lead would lead others to you, that they would see the hope that we have and want to know it. Lord, I pray, I pray for the false theologies that are rising up all over this nation. Lord, your word, all throughout the word, we see that you refine your people by fire and suffering. And I pray for this great nation. I pray that you would wake up the sleeping giant that is the church in this nation before we too allow this nation to get to a place where you have to wipe us out and start somewhere else like you have done all throughout history. Lord, where, when, when our churches start preaching a false gospel, we're on the doorstep of your judgment. And I pray that you would withhold your judgment that your grace would abound. I pray that you would rise up this younger generation and make them a generation, a holy generation, a generation that is passionate for you, that is willing to stand in the gap and say, we will not let this country go. We will not let this country turn to rebellion. We will not let this country turn to themselves. We will turn it back to you. Lord, we desperately need that. And I pray your Holy Spirit would move in the hearts of these young men and women and that you would call them to that that you would give them passion and vision for, for greater things, that you would help them become selfless, that they would lead this country in the next great awakening. In Jesus' holy and precious name I pray, amen. Flower forms are due next Sunday, so if you haven't got one, grab one and sell them. Otherwise, we will see you on Wednesday. And thanks for coming, y'all.